Hello and welcome to another episode of Architecture for Kids podcast. I'm your host, Antonio Caplão. I'm a trained architect, an architectural educator and founding director of award-winning Architecture for Kids CIC. In this podcast, I'm going to talk to practitioners and creatives that share the same passion as I do, to inspire and to engage children and young people to shape their built environment and the creative industries. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with the Built Environment Trust, the Thornton Education Trust and the Wells School of Architecture, Cardiff University. My guest today is Melissa Wolfert. Melissa is the founder director of the Museum of Architecture, which started in 2006 to help support architects to be more entrepreneurial and help the public to better engage with architecture. Melissa has created exhibitions such as the Gingerbread City, that has been called STEM Meets Suites, Sand Castles and Well Built, and has initiated innovative programming such as the Museum of Architecture Directors and Associates Clubs to share best practice in the industry. She started a school for creative thinkers in 2019, offering subscription boxes, kits and workshops to teach young people about design through nature. She's also the founder-director of News Collaborative, an agency that specializes in bringing architecture and the creative industries together with brands, and their clients include the Wild Turkey Bourbon, Dove, Ocean Spray, and the Delfina Foundation. Melissa's lecture on new business strategies for the built environment at institutions including Harvard Graduate School of Design, the Bartlett, and Loughborough University. She has also worked for Zahadid Architects between 2006 and 2009. Melissa, thank you for coming to talk to me today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. What was your favorite subject at school, and what were you good at? My favorite subjects at school were history. Uh, I actually ended up going to university as a history major first off, but when I started taking the exams, even though I really enjoyed the subject matter and the teachers and learning about it, I had absolutely a horrible memory for dates. That wasn't very useful as a historian, so I realized very quickly on I needed to switch. And I always had an interest in art and architecture. I even took some architecture courses when I was in the high school, and I really enjoyed my art classes. But my impression of architecture was that it was very much about numbers and physics and engineering, and I was a bit worried about that. But then as soon as I realized it was more about design, or it could be more about design, that made me really excited to start a career in architecture. So you are a New Yorker? Yes. Have you been in London long? I've been in London for 17 years. So I first came over to work for Zaha Hadid, and I thought I'd only be here for a year or two, but obviously that has now turned into 17, and two kids later, and multiple, multiple moves. I am still here and really loving London. What was it like to work with Zaha Hadid? I looked at it as a second grad school. I made so many amazing friends there, so much support, and it really allowed me to start the museum. I had amazing people I was working with and working for who really saw that this was my drive and my passion and were really encouraging about the work I was doing outside of the office. But the work inside the office was really interesting as well. I was doing a lot of designs with Maya because that was something that I had learned in grad school. And so I was working on bars and all, and all the way down to different pieces of jewelry and furniture. So 
I had some kind of quite interesting projects that were short term, which was really good for me. So I got to see a lot of things realized while I was there. How did the Museum of Architecture start? The Museum of Architecture started two weeks after I, I joined Zaha's office because I realized actually this is not what I wanted to do. So I needed to figure out how to get out. But I was there for three and a half years. I really used my weekends and my lunch times. And I started a pop-up gallery with two friends in the front room of one of those friends' flat. So I had my first exhibition there. And basically from that point on, people said, come on, Melissa, keep going. And it was the encouragement, again, from sort of the community that I had around me. And, you know, these two friends that I was working with at the time were, again, very supportive. And I ended up doing lots of pop-up exhibitions. And originally it was called Nouse Gallery. And so it was about sort of a collective and about us. And so it was about architecture. And my original intent was to actually sell architectural work and open up a gallery of architecture. But I was young in my early 20s, had no contacts in let's say the art world, art buying world in London. And obviously that didn't take off. But then what I ended up doing was starting a consultancy called Nows Collaborative, which allowed me to run projects and actually leave Zaha's office because I was able to make some income myself. And so that entailed looking at, I ran an architecture competition for Wild Turkey Bourbon to design a new visitor center there. And um, these architects, Daily Autumn Primer, who originated in Harvard, had moved down to Kentucky and were working and they were part of the architecture competition and won it. And their design increased visitor numbers by 100% to the distillery. And the design won the AIA award for that state that year. Able to prove that architecture actually made a difference in terms of the brand and its identity. And so I came back to London to try to figure out how I could work with other brands in that same way. But I really struggled because experiential design wasn't really a thing at that point. It was sort of almost too early. Nobody knew what box to put me in. So I sort of struggled for a little while, but I did manage to work with some other brands. So I worked with Dove, the soap brand. I ran some workshops for them both in London and New York, looking at the soap bar in interesting ways and so brought together different designers from different industries and we looked at that and it was very creative it was eye-opening for the people working at Dove because they'd never thought about the bar in these particular ways and really excited them but again how do you sort of manifest this in the real product or in real life and these ideas were very creative but it didn't actually end up being transformed into something again it slightly hit a dead end in terms of the design process with regards to them then I was thinking okay well what next? Where do I go next with this? And that's when I thought, okay, I've been working with brands now for a little bit. How do I use this knowledge about understanding what brands want and what brands do and how they work and actually turn that into something for the work that I wanted to be doing, which was these exhibitions and installations and working with architects and really getting architecture out there to the public. So that's when I founded the Museum of Architecture. What happens at the Museum of Architecture? We've been doing it for seven, you know, from the beginning. Yes, I mean, as you know, we never stopped sort of running exhibitions. We changed the name in 2012 from 2006 to Museum of Architecture from Nouse Gallery, but basically been running. So we don't have a permanent space, but we end up collaborating with various different institutions or using public spaces in order to do the exhibitions that we do. One of our biggest exhibitions is the Gingerbread City, which moves around London in different locations. We've worked with the V&A and Somerset House, but we've also done it in empty shop fronts as well. The Gingerbread City is an entire city made out of gingerbread designed by architect. Everyone from Zaha Hadid and Foster's down to sort of middle size practices, even one man band. So it's a really great way for the architecture community to come together and showcase their creativity to a wider pub. So the whole point of Gingerbread City is to educate people about what architecture is, what architects do, and to talk about specific themes around architecture. So every year, 
Gingerbread City has a different theme. Some years it's rewilding, or last year was around climate zones. How do we build in different climate zones? What are the things we need to consider, such as the building materials or sourcing locally? What do we do in those specific areas? And so we're able to talk about those key messages, but through a medium that is really fun and accessible to everyone, like gingerbread. And so- when did you think about this? Because it's quite an amazing thing. Well, I was in the U.S. and I visited a, let's say, Christmas exhibition in Cape Cod, where my parents are from. And and on display were three gingerbread structures designed by bakers, and they were like sort of dollhouse size. And I was like, well, these are good, but gosh, wouldn't it be really interesting to see a gingerbread house designed by an architect? And I thought, why stop at one building? Why not have an entire city of gingerbread designed by architects? And I had sort of that epiphany moment. I said, right, next year, this is exactly what we're going to do. And it's been really amazing to see the support that the architects give as well, because year on year, a lot of the practices come back. It's now become an annual tradition for the architecture practices as well as the visitor. So obviously we couldn't do it without the amazing practices and all of their creativity and designs. And I'm really grateful that they're really behind the project and they see it as a way of really helping the public engage with architecture. That was what was going to be my question is how was it to tell the idea to the architect? I think, you know, maybe it's people who thought I was a bit crazy and probably still think I'm a bit crazy. But I, when the initial group saw what happened the first year and how maybe 16,000 people come through the door the first year and they realized the value and the excitement that it brought to people and it was a way of talking about architecture to audiences who would never engage with architecture. They wouldn't necessarily go to an architecture exhibition or they've never been introduced to it. A lot of people don't even know what architects do. They think that they're builders. It's just a great way to start that conversation and really explain to people what architects do and also to obviously offer to children an opportunity to see it as a career and especially if they're creative and that there are other opportunities for them within the built environment, not just architecture, but engineering and planning. So we've got all those elements incorporated into gingerbread cities. It's a really great introduction. As you were speaking, it just came to mind the Royal Academy summer show. And there's a room for architects and it's the emptiest room of the exhibition. It's sad that people maybe we don't walk through it or, but again, like the I think people are drawn to the models of the, of the exhibition. I think if anything, it really stands out as the models because people love sort of looking at it and seeing all the details because it makes sense to them. And if they don't know how to read a drawing, if they don't know how to read slightly more theoretical text, a model is something that they can understand, which is why I think Gingerbread City works so well, because it is a city of models. And obviously, many people have, throughout the you know, years, designed gingerbread houses themselves. And so they know how hard it is. So I think they do appreciate all the work that goes in by the architect. One of your interests of bringing this exhibition together, was it educational or what was your target audience? The target audience of the Museum of Architecture is to engage the public with the architecture. And that is our key theme. It's always our theme, but it needs to be accessible. That is another strategy that we use and looking at what do people somewhat familiar with, but maybe, you know, is another sort of tool or way for them to engage with architecture with something that is not completely foreign or something that they don't think that they will necessarily be interested in. For example, our other projects that we've done, we put sand castles designed by architects across public spaces, Duke of York Square in front of the Design Museum and up in Notting Hill. We do other pavilions, the Wooden Parliament Pavilion, which we did with FINSA. And that was up on Granary Square and King's Cross. And all these projects, including our upcoming project, which is tree houses with Kew Gardens, is another way, again, of just using your imagination, using the creativity, but making it something that all generations can access and are interested in seeing, but obviously with an architecture twist, which makes them much more sort of creative. And you can tell the stories around architecture and the themes that architects are talking about. But again, to a more general public. Tree houses and uh, Kew Gardens. Can we talk a little bit more about that? 
We're really excited to be working on our upcoming project, Tree Houses at Kew. We're working with Kew Gardens. They've been an absolutely amazing partner to be working with. We ran a competition last year and uh, three practices based in the UK uh, won, which was really exciting. And we're excited to see these projects come to life. Definitely an interesting project that will definitely engage the public with architecture in a fun and exciting way. You'll be able to go up into these tree houses, experience them. They're all very different friend and I can't wait to see them come to life. You also set up the school for creative thinkers that engages children, particularly young people, diverse ways. Tell us more about kind of that aspect of them. On the back of the Gingerbread City workshop, Valley workshops that we run, people kept asking us, what do we do for the rest of the year? And we came up with Nature's Architects as our first programming. And this is all around learning about architecture through biomimicry and through nature. And we run a series of workshops looking at different animals and plants and insects and how they influence design. And we've also created a series of seven kits that people can buy and take home and do the activities at home. But that include a magazine and the materials to make the different structures. And the thing for us is that this is not like taking a ladybug and just putting the black spots on it. This for us is about teaching young people about particular method of building. So for example, with birds, birds build nests and that's a sort of form of weaving. And so what we do is we teach people through the magazine about all the different types of nests around the world that the birds build. So they can see there's different sort of design of birds' nests in the wild. And then we show how architects have then been influenced by weaving. And so we show structures that have some woven design within them. And so there's examples of design. And then we give them the materials to be able to weave their own structure. But there's no directions on sort of the right or wrong way of doing it. So every outcome is unique. And it's unique to the child. It's unique to their experiences. It's unique to sort of their creativity and their imaginations. We want to encourage people's independence and their self-confidence with these particular projects that nothing is wrong. Like everything is right because it's just what they've done and what they've come up with. It's a really great way, again, teaching young people about the built environment, but doing it through nature is something that they're familiar with. And so that they, you can make it more accessible. And we also had free programming as well. You can download various different activities from the website. And we had done even Nature's Architects Trail. Actually, last summer with Cadogan, we worked on a trail and commissioned architects to design 20 different structures across Pavilion Road in Duke of York Square. And that was, again, in the public space, a really great way having people just come across these architectural installations. And again, teaching people about architecture in the public space, it's all free and it's an opportunity for them to learn while they're just passing by. So I think having architecture out in public spaces is really important because if they're not necessarily going to go to see an architecture exhibition, it's important that they have an opportunity to come across it and learn something, especially young people. Your role in the Museum of Architecture, are you also involved in the pedagogic side of things or your more business side? Of- any small organization is, it's a bit of everything. But no, I, I also work with an amazing team of people who also definitely, you know, come up with ideas and are very creative. And you know, all of us together come together to do these projects. That brings me to the next question. Uh, what are the challenges? So lots of challenges. One being, you know, trying to get everything done with a small team. You know, everyone works quite hard on various projects. And I think also the sort of the funding and the support from external sources. I definitely think architecture struggles to get the support it needs in order to do the outreach. It's amazing how many organizations we actually do have in London who are doing this outreach for young people and these activities and activations. But there just isn't enough support. I mean, we would love to do more. 
But, you know, we need the resources to be able to do that. And that resources for people, resources for materials. I think that definitely is one of the challenges. And just time, you know, as well. In terms of the, the receptiveness of your project, people are quite receptive to, to your ideas and what you're putting together. Yeah, I definitely think people are receptive to the ideas. I mean, you know, we, we talk to people all the time who, you know, say they're excited about what we do and they'd love to work with us. But again, I think it's, you know, it's the funding. It's being able to bring this to life and working with the right partners. And luckily we have up with amazing partners and we continue to do so. We have really strong relationships with the people that we worked with and, you know, who continue to support us in our programming, you know, but we'd love to do more. Actually, one of the things we are doing is expanding to the U.S. We are bringing the Gingerbread City to New York this year, which is also really exciting. What's really exciting is that we want to see how New York architects are tackling sort of the subject and the brief and also then how they're responding in comparison to, you know, London architects. So I think there's a lot of really interesting conversations that can be had between the two cities and the way that they respond to the gingerbread city and the master planning and kind of what they do. So I'm really excited to see what the New York architects come up with. Are you pairing up with Nyland? No. Nyland is an exchange of cultures between the two cities, which architecture is very much part of it. What is the relevance and the impact of the work that the Museum of Architecture is doing? How fast or how slowly are things changing if they're changing at all? To answer your first question, what's the impact and what's the relevance? I think that the way that I see Museum of Architecture in the sort of context of other architectural organizations in London is the fact that we are very public focused. We do all of our programming in terms of exhibitions based on a public audience, not necessarily architecture for architects, but architecture for the public. And I think, again, architects sometimes have a harder time reaching the public and there's not many outlets for them to do so. So I hope that we are that outlet and we bring architecture to the wider audience. I mean, what's really exciting is for things like Gingerbread City is that I'm able to go on shows like Saturday Kitchen or Sunday Brunch and talk to different audiences that would never otherwise engage with architectural content and think it's just getting architecture out of the traditional means of reaching it and into places that otherwise people would not necessarily come across it. So I think that is definitely something that we are doing and we would like to be doing more of and reaching those wider audiences, which is really important. Uh, tell me about how are things change. Again, I think one of the you know the challenges is financial. So obviously, gingerbread city costs us a lot more to produce last year just because all the cost of everything went up, right? Just, you know, our the margins for the amount of money that we make to be able to do all of our other programming is getting tighter. And I think right now, especially with this economy, I think getting sponsorship is also much more difficult. I think as we look at these challenges and then obviously, you know, grant funding is going down as well. So every, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound dire, but it's just, you know, that is the trajectory at the moment that we are looking at. Again, for us, it was, okay, you know, how can we survive and it's looking at other places like new york or other places we can go and you know what are the sort of non-traditional partners we can work with as well as just looking at what opportunities are out there and trying to showcase how architecture can make a difference those are non-traditional ways of working is something that we are definitely exploring and the architectural profession it does need a reinventing do we need architects do we or we don't? I would argue yes. I mean, we've seen enough sort of bad buildings go up that that I think we definitely need architects. And but I think people walk through their spaces and their communities every day. And I think it, what what's important is to 
tell people the importance of good building design, not just for the external of how it looks, but also for how people use it. You know, making sure that our buildings are designed for the people that go in and also for the, you know, longevity as well. You know, what is this building going to become in 10, 15 years? And is it adaptable? Is it reusable? Thinking about the materials that we're using, making sure that they're sustainable, you know, and also working more with other partners in the built environments. How can we work better with planners to make everything better? How can we work better with engineers to make everything better? You know, who are the other people in the industry that we can come together with to just make a larger difference? And I think if we're able to show the public that we are doing these things and that there are differences that they can make also within these processes and engage them more, then I think we will have a better chance, a better success of staying relevant as well as an industry. In terms of the, the current discourse that is going on, uh, sustainability and, uh, and maturity, in architecture. Does the Museum of Architecture or the Gingerbread exhibitions tackles that subject? And if so, how? Every year it's themed. One year is, was around rewilding. So how can we include more green spaces in our cities and in places that don't necessarily have that green space? And what are the opportunities that are there? So it was an opportunity to showcase all those moments, whether it's a pocket park or whether it's roof gardens. And to show what is possible. And people might not sort of think about those various different ways of including green space in our cities. And it was a way of introducing how they might come about to people who might influence those. You know, you don't know who's walking around. That's the thing. And so people say, oh, I didn't realize that could be done. I'll take that back and incorporate that. Maybe I will fight for a roof garden on my, you know, office building or to have that outside space for mental health and well-being. I think you always have to think, who is your audience? It could be someone who could make a difference. And so it's just making sure those messages are out there and the knowledge is out there for people to use and take back to their everyday life. Gingerbread City or uh, the Museum of Architecture, is it geared up for a particular age group or is it a diverse audience that is trying to capture? It's a, definitely a diverse audience. I mean, obviously, we you know we have activities for, for younger children, but then it's, you know, there's adults as well who are interested in, in design and specific to the gingerbread city people are interested in baking and but then i mean we literally have everyone from babies to grandparents and really is sort of widespread which again i think is something that makes it successful and the fact that it draws that wider audience and that and that um, we also have a program where we bring in schools for free during uh, weekday mornings and give them an opportunity to have a tour as well and we introduce the concept of what is architecture and again talk about the particular themes Jira was around climates how do we build in different climates thinking about the materials thinking about local local building types and how we can learn from those you know what was really exciting is that you're introducing again those concepts to children who might not have any architects in their family or any understanding of what architects do or what architecture is again it's a really great tool for us to be able to educate younger people about and really anyone and entire families about what architecture is really intergenerational a reflection note about what you're doing and and how do you see things moving in the future i guess a reflection note would be just to look at the world around you and to try to see enjoy the architecture enjoy the buildings enjoy the spaces that you're in learn from them and just try to better engage with the planning process so how are your communities and cities coming about and um, you know how can you influence them? Like get involved and go to committee meetings and and find out what's happening because you really can have a say in the way our cities are are brought to life. And so I would encourage everyone to make sure that they say what they what they want because people are listening more and I think voices are being heard and and learned from. So I would definitely try and engage.
Is there a question I should have asked you or that I haven't? And if there is, what was that question? I'm not sure. <laughs> I we talked about everything. I'm trying to think there's anything else. Okay, I have one. I assume you're not a practicing architect at the moment. Would you like to become one again? No. And why not? I love being creative. I really like designing. I enjoyed it a lot. But now I'm really more interested. I love what I do. I love seeing people's faces light up when they get excited about something. And I get to do that on a regular basis. And I just think that, yeah, being an architect wasn't really for me. But I obviously love the industry. I love supporting architects. I love being that platform where architects can have a voice to the wider public. I like being that connection and I like making really exciting things happen. For me, the creativity is coming up with the brief and the ideas and then seeing how architects then realize those. And I think that connection is really exciting for me and that is what I enjoy and I love. So thank you very much. Thank you very much to my guests today, to all the listeners. And please subscribe to Architecture for Kids podcast and leave your rating and the review. Recommend us to your friends and family. And to find out more about it, visit our websites, antoniocaplan-portfolio.co.uk, buildingcenter.co.uk, thorntoneducationtrust.org, cardiff.ac.uk. And follow us on Instagram, arch4kidscic, Twitter, antcaplan, LinkedIn, antcaplan, C-A-P-E-L-A-O, And please join me again next week for another episode of Architecture for Kids podcast, brought to you in collaboration with the Built Environment Trust, the Thornton Education Trust, and the Welsh School of Architecture, Cardiff University.